Welcome to a series of netcasts brought to you by Yale University. Tenzin Chugyal, a Tibetan musician traveling with the visiting Namgyal monks, speaking with David Heiser, head of education and outreach at Yale's Peabody Museum, about the creation and exhibition of a Buddhist sand mandala, which began September 25th at the Yale Peabody Museum. This week at the Yale Peabody Museum, the exiled Namgyal monks from His Holiness the Dalai Lama's private monastery in Dharamsala, India, will create a sand mandala. I'm here with Tenzin Chogyal to talk about this truly amazing event. Hello, Tenzin. Hello, David. How are you? Good. Good, good. So thank you for being here. Uh, The tradition of the sand mandala dates back thousands of years and carries a strong sense of symbolism with it, doesn't it? Yes. Can you tell me anything about that? Um, the basic uh, basic thing about Zen Mandala is uh, for meditation purpose. It's um, What you do is you create this mandala and it's actually uh, to help uh, to visualize these uh, mandalas. Uh, when you when you are creating it, it's actually mandala itself. The sand mandala itself is not as important as uh, the visualization aspect of the creating of the mandala in your own space. Okay. Yeah. So does yeah. that make sense? It does. So yeah. we'll we'll see the creation of a sand mandala this week. Um, a, a beautiful square blue table with uh, sand mm-hmm. of different colors on it. And when we look at that, we should realize that the monks who are creating this have a much greater sense of that mandala in their in their minds, in their own visualization. Is that yeah, right? Yeah, that's right. And uh, whatever, there's thousands of different mandalas. And uh, this time around, we are creating the same mandala of uh, the Buddha of Compassion. So when you are creating this uh, Buddha of Compassion, then in the center is the Buddha of Compassion, uh, and then around it, there is a lot of other uh, symbolisms around it. So the sand mandala usually have eight directions to enter from. Uh, no, not eight directions. Ten directions. Okay. Eight from the sides. Okay. And then the top and the bottom, okay. ten directions. And uh, as you, because being the Buddha of compassion, so what one has to realize is when you are creating the mandala, you have to realize that you, when you visualize, you become that Buddha of compassion. Mm. And around that, you create the universe. And uh, as uh, when you visualize the Buddha of compassion, you uh, place the Buddha of compassion on your crown chakra. Mm. And then from crown chakra, it uh, absorbs into the throat chakra. And then from the throat chakra, it absorbs into the heart chakra. And as it absorbs into heart chakra, then you become the Buddha of compassion. And it starts imi- imitating imate, uh, emanating? emanating rays yes. uh, a luminous light, mm. and which, will, uh, which you visualize that it's going towards the boundless space and spreads around all the sentient beings and taking away the sufferings of all the sentient beings. Wow. So as, as that visualization comes around, and then in an instant you visualize that that luminous light becomes a rainbow. And 
uh, I'm uh, I'm excl- explaining it in a very short process. Right. So okay. sure. <laughs> or else it might take whole day. <laughs> <laughs> so it becomes a rainbow, and then well, in an instant it becomes a rainbow, and then um, as rainbow does, it disappears hmm. into emptiness. Okay. So emptiness doesn't mean that it's empty. It's empty of nature. It's uh, it's a whole another uh, philosophy about it. Um, so it becomes empty, and then you become yourself again. Okay. And you so that's how you start to evoke the compassionate nature that we all have, but we kind of forget because of our busy schedules or uh, yeah. So that's what Tibetans believe that. Every sentient beings have the Buddha nature within them, mm. but uh, so it's just putting a little effort day by day to awaken that. Oh, yeah. What a n- wonderful reminder! Yes, I feel lucky that uh, at the Peabody Museum we'll be able to uh, have this take place and and have this reminder of our compassionate nature every oh. day. This uh, hopefully we can extend that beyond just this week. Yeah, uh, but it's a, it's a wonderful visual reminder this week as well. Yeah. I think the monks, and particularly me and monks, we are really happy to be here. And um, whenever I've noticed that whenever monks go anywhere, they uh, they become the part of the place. They mm. it beca- the part the place becomes home for them while they are there. And then when they leave, then they don't have any attachment to that place either. <laughs> so, uh, but I see there is a process of People who let them go have they want them to stay back, but the monks they just mm-hmm. go as and leave this space, and then so hopefully David you won't have that problem. Hopefully not. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully not. So just before this, uh, just before we started this interview, we observed the monks uh, sketching uh, what looked like a diagram on, on this blue table and then also begin to, uh, put some, some of the sand on it of different colors. Yeah. And can you just talk briefly about the process, process. about the actual pro- physical process of creating this, what okay. tools they use and how it's going to work over the week? Yeah. Mm, the, <clears throat> the sand mandala that we are creating, it's, uh, it's on a table. And, uh, at this morning, what the monks did was just the architectural, side of it where probably the architecture people would understand Hmm. Um, it's just the line drawings and uh, when you talk about mandala and the sand the colored sands actually it's not we the monks they don't look at a picture to create the mandala it's all in scripts in Hmm. there so they have memorized the scripts in their head and then the scripts tells you how to visualize. Uh, like uh, It's like a guided meditation. Okay. The scripts tells you how to create from the center to the outer circle. Mm. And what is where and what color and what design it is. So you, through that process, you have to create the sand mandala. And the sand itself is uh, the white. If, if you go and see at the puberty, then you will realize that the sand itself is, the white color is the uh, natural color of the sand. Right. 
and then all the rest of the colors are um, dyed. Okay. And in ancient times, we used to use the uh, natural uh, stones. Okay. The, you know, you get those natural color stones, right, and right, then you right. grind them. And yes. But these days, uh, we grind the sand into a really tiny, um, very powdery uh, piece. Okay. And then dye the sand. Okay. And then before the monks bring the sand uh, to create the mandala, actually, this is a very important aspect of the mandala. You evoke whatever deity you are creating or visualizing. Um, the sands, the each grain of sand contains that deity. Wow. You evoke that deity or the Buddha yes. in each grain of the sand. And so you ask the Buddhas, to come and reside in these sands for the duration of the sand mandala mm. time. And then at the end, when the mandala is created, um, what we call finished, then um, what happens is the monks will do a ritual where they ask or they ask the deities to leave the sand. Oh, okay. And then it becomes the sand again, and okay. it becomes a blessed sand. Wow. And it's kind of a, uh, the sand has got its own energy. And uh, at that point, uh, they dismantle the mandala. And then uh, what happens is the symbolism behind the dissolution of the mandala is the impermanence nature of every existence. And uh, also one another aspect is being non-attached to material things because right. being attached to the things brings about all the uh, sufferings that we mm. we create around us I think that's a I think that's a lesson that a lot of us around here could could use to learn or at least be reminded of yeah and I have, to, I have to learn that <laughs> as well <laughs> yeah. that attachment to material things is, and uh, so after that <coughs> Uh, at the end, they go for a proces- procession, and we haven't picked a water resource yet. That's right. So when we pick a water resource, then the sand is offered to the water. Because uh, what is understanding of that is uh, when you offer the sand to the water system, yes. uh, the water cycle yep. brings back the blessings. Mm. Um, okay. of the sand okay. and all the energies that has been created to bring about tilha here yeah mm. so does uh, that's that a, yeah that's yeah. a wonderful metaphor too that's 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 fantastic thank you for explaining that can you uh, I, I'd like you to to say a few words about your role here in this uh, in this tour you are going to be um singing and playing a number of musical instruments mm-hmm. as part of a concert being given Saturday evening, mm-hmm. the 29th of September 2007 mm-hmm. at Levinson Auditorium. It's a, it's a free concert, yeah. and it'll start at 7.30, and, uh, and you, you feature prominently in that. Can you, tell, can you tell us a little bit about your role in this tour, and particularly with regard to the music okay. that, that has uh, become such a big part of your life? Yeah. Um, my music... Uh, probably brought me to Australia and in Australia I started sharing my music with the Australian communities 
And then I started bringing the Tibetan monks to do the same project like what we are doing with mm. you. Right. And uh, so so you want me to talk about my music side or uh yeah please <laughs> both uh both how how this came to be this uh combination of a tour of of uh music presenting and music and a, a sand mandala, sand mandala. Ale, yeah. Uh, as yeah as well the the kinds of music you'll be presenting on saturday evening Ale. um like for the past 10 years i've been living in australia and when I was sharing my music with the uh, Australian communities, uh, people were really interested in Tibetan culture. And uh, what I could offer was the musical, the musical side of it, the musical part of the Tibetan culture. Okay. And then I realized that I c- actually I could bring some, like make it a better Tibetan, like sharing the culture side of it in a wider way and uh, in that way about three years ago I started bringing the monks okay. to Australia Okay. and we did the same program like this and uh, I quite enjoy doing this way then rather than just going myself playing my music and right. uh, so the monks are, are are demonstrating and practicing a very traditional um, sort of form of of both art and meditation. Yeah. And and your music does that is that a traditional form of music or does it is it con- would you call it contemporary, contemporary. that sort of pulls uh, from traditional influences? Um, my music is more based on the nomadic tradition of Tibet. Okay. And uh, being a nomad, being from a nomadic family, uh, when I came out of Tibet, I was only two. Hmm. And uh, my parents, uh, when they came out, uh, probably wouldn't have a clue where, what light is. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, and uh, when I came out, uh, the, mo- the one thing I can really remember uh, about coming out of Tibet is seeing a train hmm. for the first time. Hmm. And uh, I was going, wow, that's a big, long, moving house. (laughs) 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 And that's... uh, Yeah, I can see that. And that was like, because where I lived, it was a tiny village. Uh, We grow everything there Hmm. and we move from one place to another uh, looking for salt. Wow, okay. And do a salt trade. Okay. My parents used to, because of, of being a nomad. And uh, the only light you have is the light of, uh, you know, like the fire lights. Right. Yeah, so that was in 70s, like early 60s. Wow, 70s, okay. Late 60s. So when you, if you think about Tibetans move, coming out of Tibet at those points of time, they had to shift from a medieval period of, period to a very advanced time like it was a very big shift for that's yeah it seems like an incredibly yeah. big shift but uh, they I think because of the Buddhism I think it helped a lot of Tibetans mm. to actually because uh, wherever they are they has to adjust to that mm. you know so like uh, now when I look back to my life I'm totally like 
from one end to another, it's totally advanced. Like one was totally background, back, backward, um, materially. Right. Uh, but uh, now I'm in a very advanced material state. But I don't know whether my mind is in a very So in that, uh, that's uh, like a little background about where I came from. Okay, thanks. And uh, my mom used to sing a lot. Because being okay. nomad, whatever she does, like uh, she, when she's cooking, when uh, she's making a carpet, uh, she would sing these nomadic tunes. And uh, that stayed in my, that kind of, the imprint of that melodies stayed in my mind. Mm. Even though I never went to a musical school or anything like that. Um, so there was a, like a yearning for singing those songs. So what I do now is based on nomadic tradition, okay. but with my own twist around it. Okay, sure. <laughs> so it's... Uh, um yeah I do some probably some traditional songs okay and then some that uh, you know like as songwriters do you tell about your stories sure. and what is in your mind and so those kind of things fantastic yeah. and I play a string instrument called drangen um it's a three string instrument okay and then I play the flute Right. And mostly, probably my main instrument would be my vocals. Okay. Yeah. And, okay. Uh, well, yeah. And then, yeah, for the past past 10 years, I've been sharing that kind of the, that side of the Tibetan tradition. And it's quite, uh, it's very nice for me to be, with the monks, because uh, you know, you you show the religious side as well as the secular side mm. combined. Okay. So you yep. get to share, like people get to see both sides of the tradition of the culture. Yeah, wow. it's not just uh, seeing the religious part, and then you don't get to see the what the lay people do. So I'm a lay person, so I share the lay person side of. Thing. Excellent. Thank you so much. Well, we're lucky to see both sides, as you put it. I'm <laughs> sure, well, maybe I should say two sides. There's two probably sides. more than two. Yeah. Um, but uh, this week at the at the Peabody Museum, we'll be having uh, the sand mandala being created by three of the exiled uh, Tibetan monks from the Namgyal Monastery in Dharamsala, India. And we've just been speaking with Tenzin Chögyal, who is here um, as well as part of this tour, and uh, he'll be leading the concert on Saturday evening, the 29th of September. The monks will be doing the chanting and all these amazing instruments, uh, the long horns and the trumpets, and uh, so it'll be, yeah, two sides. Two sides, did yeah. you say? <laughs> That's right, <laughs> two sides. That's right. All right, thank you so much, Tenzin. Thank you, David. Tenzin Chugyal is a Tibetan musician traveling with the visiting Namgyal monks from His Holiness the Dalai Lama's private monastery in Dharamsala. He was interviewed by David Heiser, head of education and outreach at Yale's Peabody Museum. 
For more information about the Compassionate Mandala Tour or to view event and program information at Yale Peabody Museum, log on to www.peabody.yale.edu. This was recorded on September 25, 2007. This was recorded on September 25, 2007.